One night, many years ago in central Illinois, Beth had a meeting at church. As the girls and I watched her get ready, we noticed that she had two different desserts with her. And when we couldn't get her to give us some before she left, we pleaded with her to bring some home after the meeting. And she promised she would, writes Pastor Brian Bill. And as the night went on, the girls repeatedly asked him, Dad, when's Mom coming home? And after sunset, the questions crescended. And I told, he told them that he wasn't sure of the exact time when she was going to come home. And around 8.30, the troops and he were in their pajamas, barefoot, out in the front yard. And at, the, at first, uh, they sat on the front porch waiting. Then the girls started doing cartwheels in the grass. And eventually, one of them got out their pogo stick, and they all tried jumping on it. Now, I don't know about you, but I wish I could have seen Pastor Brian jumping on a pogo stick. <laughs> The girls laughed hard when he attempted to hop around, and the later it got, the more distracted they became, and they were so focused on having fun that they stopped asking about their mother. His youngest daughter, Megan, was so tired that he put her to bed so he could have part of her dessert. (laughs) And about 9.20, Beth rolled into the driveway. She was startled to see them outside in their pajamas, and they were delighted to finally get their dessert. Now, the second coming of Jesus Christ will be similar to that illustration. We know he's coming, but we don't know exactly when he is going to come. While many of us are filled with expectation, several of us are distracted by other things around us, and some of us even sleep. I pray that God will shake us out of our spiritual slumber since the coming of Christ will be sudden And it will be unexpected. Here's what our main lesson will be today, that the closeness of Christ's coming should cause us to walk closely with him today. Let me repeat that. The closeness of Christ's coming should cause us to walk closely with him today. And have you ever wondered why the Christian calendar does not have a time of year to celebrate Christ's return? We celebrate Christ's first coming at Christmas But we don't know when he's coming for a second return. We celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection on Good Friday and Easter. But we're still left wondering when is the second coming going to happen. But before we jump into our passage, let's consider some primary points. Number one, there are different views about the second coming of Christ among Christians. So have you noticed that godly individuals who differ on how future events will take place Now, I have read and I have studied a few of them, and I know enough to not be dogmatic on all the practical details of how it will happen. And while some specifics aren't exactly clear to us, one thing is crystal clear, that Jesus is, in fact, coming back again. Secondly, the Bible is filled with prophecy. One author urges us to be confident that Jesus will come again. And he writes, because he, Jesus, promised he would, five times more frequently than he promised he would come the first time. And since his first coming is in fact a part of history, we can at least be five times as certain that he will come again for the second time. When Pastor Brian visited Washington, D.C. many years ago, he was struck by this inscription on the dome of the Capitol. And it reads, One God, one law, 
one element and one far-off divine event to which the whole creation moves. I'm not sure that that statement's not far off. Thirdly, the aim of prophecy is always practical and pastoral. While we want to know the answers to when and what, Jesus focused on who we were to be, how our character was to be developed. So write this down. Prophecy is not designed to satisfy our curiosity, but to sanctify our character. The question is not when will Jesus return, but what will we do before he gets here? So let's focus on being faithful and let God handle the end of the world. Fourthly, I believe in the literal, personal, eminent, pre-tribulation, pre-millennial return of Jesus Christ our Lord with his redeemed ones. And that really is a mouthful, isn't it? (laughs) But when Jesus returns, some will be snatched away while many will be left behind to face a seven-year period of unprecedented tribulation as described in the books of Daniel and Revelation. Friend, I can tell you this. However the second coming takes place, you will not want to be left behind. The return of Christ is not to be symbolic. It's not symbolic, but it will involve Jesus Christ himself. Eminent means that he can return and rapture the believers at any time. And the phrases pre-tribulational and pre-millennial are best explained by looking at this chart on the screens above. Jesus will come before the tribulation, rapture the Christians who are alive, resurrect the redeemed who have died, and take us all back to heaven with him. That is a great truth. And this will be followed by the seven-year period of the tribulation. And at the end of that time, Christ will return with the believers and he's going to set up his 1,000-year reign on earth. And I believe that the rapture is pre or before the tribulation and Jesus will return pre or before he inaugurates his millennial kingdom. Listen to how the Edgewood Doctrinal Statement reads. We believe that the end of the age is approaching and will culminate in the blessed hope, the personal, eminent return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we believe in the bodily resurrection of the unjust, of the just and the unjust, the just to everlasting blessedness of the saved and the everlasting punishment of the lost. And Dr. David Jeremiah writes in a new book called Where Do We Go From Here?, And I want to pass on just a few of these insights from his book. And Dr. Jeremiah writes that there may never be a time in history when end times prophecy is more aligned with current events than today. Matthew 24 gives us six signs indicating the time of the great tribulation and Jesus' second coming. Dr. Jeremiah believes that we are seeing early evidence of how these signs are increasing in intensity. The first sign, the deception of false Christ. Second sign, disputes and warfares among the nations. The third sign, disease and famine worldwide. The fourth sign, the deliverance of believers to persecution. 
The fifth sign, the defection of false believers. And the sixth sign, the declaration of the gospel to the whole world. And the rest of the book points to other current issues of concern like socialism, globalism, pandemics, economic crisis, the falling away, cancel culture, spiritual famine, and tensions in the Middle East. And he concludes by celebrating the ultimate triumph of the gospel. And Pastor Brian adds to that list of events, catastrophic events like 9-11, hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, that remind us that life goes by way too fast. And there will come a point in time when it is final. And our cultural climate of death, destruction, and despair has spun out of control with increasing drug and alcohol addiction, the breakdown of the family, school shootings, and threats of more violence on TikTok. Are you aware that First Thessalonians contains a reference to the return of Christ in every single chapter? We're going to be looking today specifically at 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. So if you would turn in your Bibles or your electronic devices to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And as you turn, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Father God, we, we come before you, and Father, we thank you for this great celebration we had of the birth of your son. Uh, and we thank you for those who are gathering with us today, Father, here in person and those online. But Father, you, you know that we are sinners saved by grace or sinners yet to be saved by grace and that we're dragging our baggage with us. So we ask for grace and mercy, Father. Some of us are struggling with grief from the loss of a loved one. Father, some of us are struggling uh, with illnesses or we have family members who are struggling with illnesses. Some of us have relationships that have been hurt. Some of us are struggling financially, Father. Some of us emotionally Father, perhaps today there are even some here who are full of joy and life is going great. But Father, no matter which camp we're in, those who are struggling or those who are doing great, we ask for grace and mercy, Father, for us to hear from you and to apply your word to our lives. Father, we think of those who are engaged in worship at home who are ill, Father. We pray that Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer, will be with them and heal them. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And, with the, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, Pastor Brian prepared this message, and he intended to be here to give it to you, but he's feeling a little under the weather, and so he has given me the privilege of delivering this message to you. And in verse 13, Paul starts uh, by saying that he wanted the new believers to be 
He didn't want them to be uninformed. He wanted them to be informed. This is a very emphatic statement meant to get their attention. And perhaps they thought that Jesus was going to return at any moment and rescue them from their trials. When their brothers and sisters in Christ start dying, it may have caused them concern. They may have been wondering, did their deaths disqualify them from meeting the Lord when he returned? Had they somehow missed out on the end time events? So Paul is writing to clear up their confusion about those who had fallen asleep. That reminds me of a Sunday school teacher who asked her class why it's important to be quiet in church. And one spunky little girl replied, because people are sleeping. (laughs) I don't think that's what Paul had in mind there. And if you are dozing off a little bit, please come back. (laughs) The phrase fallen asleep is used in verses 13, 14, and 15 to describe believers who had died. This is a wonderful way to speak of death for the believer. Our souls don't sleep at death. They go immediately into the presence of our Lord, as stated in 2 Corinthians 5.8. We would rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. But our bodies are asleep in the sense that they will wake up again and be resurrected. In John 11.11, When referring to Lazarus, who had been in the tomb for several days, Jesus said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Incidentally, this word in the Greek is where we get our word cemetery. When you think about a cemetery, it is a sleeping place, a dormitory for the dead people who one day will be resurrected. But before we go much further, let's define the term rapture. So look at the phrase in verse 17, will be caught up. This verb means to snatch up, to seize, and to carry off with force. And the Latin Vulgate translates that as rapture, which is the word we use today when we describe how Jesus will snatch us up and gather us to be with him. Warren Wiersbe defines the various meanings of the Greek word caught up with these phrases, to catch away speedily, to seize by force, to claim for one's own self, and to rescue from danger. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so let's just kind of slow down a little bit, and we're going to look carefully at each verse. And we'll see the promise of the rapture is sure. The participants of the rapture are certain. The plan of the rapture is set, and the purpose of the rapture is to strengthen us. And our our main point is the closeness of Christ's coming should cause us to walk closely with him today. In verses 14 through 15, we see that the promise of the rapture is sure because it's built on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 14 reads, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep. So this is a concise summary of biblical Christianity. Jesus died as a full payment for our sins. And by resurrecting from the dead, he conquered death. And his resurrection shows that his payment was a full payment for our sins. And God accepted his sacrifice. 
So the first part of verse 15 gives us another reason to be confident of his coming. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Commentators suggest that this may be referring to something Jesus said when he was alive but was not recorded in the Gospels. Or perhaps it may be something that Jesus revealed directly to Paul. And as such, it carries with it some, a tremendous weight of authority. The rapture is not a made-up doctrine. It's not theological speculation. It's sure because it's built on three pillars, the redemption provided by Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the revelation of Christ. Secondly, we see that the participants are certain. In the remainder of verse 15, we see the participants are certain. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. There are two groups of people who will participate in the rapture. Believers who are alive and believers who have passed away. Thirdly, the plan is set. So the problem of sorrow, it is now solved because the promise is sure and the participants are certain. And the plan of the rapture is set forth in verses 16 through 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of, the, of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Paul lists eight key elements to this plan. It's a sudden descent. Notice that the Lord himself will come down from heaven, just like Acts 1.11 declares. This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So this is not symbolic or some kind of literary device. This is literally the Lord descending down from heaven. And a cry of command. This is a military term which was issued when the troops were at ease and when it was time for them to fall in. And if you've served in the military, you've heard that phrase, fall in! And you know that's when you come to attention and you get in line and in order. So Jesus is commanding all Christians to get to their feet and to fall in line. This phrase was authoritative and it came with a sense of urgency. And listen to what Jesus said in John 5, 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This is the time when the dead and the devoted will hear the thunderous command of our commander-in-chief and the commander of the armies of heaven. In the voice of the archangel, Daniel 12 and Jude 9 identify the archangel as Michael. And as Jesus comes down with his booming command, Michael's voice is echoing behind him. And the sound of the trumpet of God. In Exodus 19, a very loud trumpet was used to call the people out to meet with God. And in Zechariah 9.14, a trumpet was used as a signal uh, of the Lord that he was about to rescue his people. So the trumpet sounds forth at the rapture because God's people are called out in order to be 
rescued. And it's a great resurrection. Notice it's the dead in Christ who are raised. This is only a resurrection of believers. The unsaved dead are left in their graves to be raised at the great white throne judgment 1,000 years later as spelled out in Revelation 25. That the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. So all believers in Christ will be raised. This includes people who died 2,000 years ago and those who died in Christ this week. It includes the martyr Stephen, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Corey Ten Boom, and Todd Beamer, who was on Flight 93, and believers from our own congregation. They will be raised indestructible with brand new bodies, clothed with immortality, healed, restored, and put in their right minds, and raised to live forever, to die no more. That is great news. And it's going to be a glorious rapture. Rapture is a word that always implies a change of location. I had a friend. uh, I had a friend. He liked to use this phrase. He wasn't going to die or pass away. He was just going to relocate. And Jay said that all the time. Dan, I'm not going to die. I'm going to relocate to heaven. That is a great truth. Living believers will literally be lifted off the earth. How will it happen? Well, 1 Corinthians 15.52 describes the scene as taking place in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. How fast is that? I don't know. Uh, But it's quicker than you can blink. One moment you're here driving your car, and then the next nanosecond you're flying through the clouds. One second you're eating tongue tacos, and the next second you're airborne. One instant, you're booing the Packers. Oh, wait. (laughs) Pastor Brian didn't write that. He wrote, cheering the Packers. And the next, you discover the angels are wearing green and gold. And I know he's engaging in worship with us with other people online. (laughs) Just like that. We'll be here one moment, and we'll be gone the next. It's going to be a grand reunion Notice what Paul says in verse 17, that we will be caught up together with them. Then he says, and so we will always be with the Lord. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in John 14, 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is the ultimate family reunion. All Christians from all centuries, from every land, nation, tribe, and tongue will be together at last with Jesus. And I can't wait. How about you? It's going to be a joyful meeting. Notice three key words, that we will meet the Lord, we will be with the Lord, and we will be with the Lord forever. Do you remember what Jesus said to the thief dying on the cross in Luke 23, 43? That today you will be with me in paradise. That word meet, it's a beautiful word used to describe the meeting of a dignitary as in a king as people would rush to get close to him. 
we will not only meet him, but we will be with him. And he will be with us. We will never be separated from him ever again. The purpose of the rapture is to strengthen us. As we come to the end of this chapter, Pastor Paul reveals the purpose behind what he has written. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. As believers, we should be talking more about the rapture because we know what's coming. And we should allow those, that truth to influence how we are acting today. So the purpose of prophecy is to give us hope, comfort, and encouragement. It's a promise to believe that Jesus is coming again. And at the same time, it's a frightening prospect for those who have not yet put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And if they haven't, they will be left behind. The closeness of Christ's coming should cause us to walk closely with him today. So let's wrap up with some lessons for how to live in these last days. Number one, rearrange your priorities. Do you live more like the world than a follower of the word? The study of God's prophetic program is always meant to purify God's people. 1 John 2.28 challenges us to be ready for his return. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink before him in shame at his coming. The only thing worse than being left behind is to be ashamed when Jesus returns. I like what D.L. Moody says. I have been working three times as hard since I came to understand that my Lord is coming again. And when Jesus returns, We do not want to be found lazy. Do we want him to come back while we're nursing a grudge? Do you want him to return when when friction and unforgiveness is tearing your marriage apart? Do you want him to appear when you've been spending your money unwisely or perhaps when you've been giving in to that secret sin? Would you have been okay if he were to see what you did last night. Secondly, always encourage one another. To encourage means to come alongside someone to give the help he or she needs. And here are a few practical ideas. We can try to talk about the return of Christ once a day. And we could interject the second coming into conversations by using the phrase Maranatha, And this word is found at the end of the book of Revelation, and it means, come, Lord Jesus. And we can pepper our prayers with references to Christ's return. Number three, we can tell lost people about the Lord. So don't get caught up in prophecy so much that you forget to point people to Christ. In response to some questions about the timing of a second coming, Jesus said in Acts 1-7 that it is not for you, you and I and those believers who he's talking to, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So we're not supposed to be focused on setting a date, but instead, instead we're supposed to be called to spirit-empowered witnessing. 
Look at the very next verse. Acts 1.8 reads, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. So instead of worrying, you and I, we should be worshiping and we should be witnessing. Fourth, repent and receive Christ. Don't delay. You could die today or Jesus could come back tonight. Do you know why Jesus Christ has not returned yet? It's because God is patiently waiting, giving you a time to repent and come to faith. Listen to 2 Peter 3, 9 through 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heaven will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Friend, it's not too late for you. I urge you today to accept Jesus Christ as your sin substitute. Today can be the day of your salvation. And it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been sleeping, or how many times you've gone to church. Turn to Jesus right now before it is too late. And I don't know how to say it any other way. If you don't know Jesus Christ through the new birth, you have an appointment with judgment. There will be no escape unless you repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But it's your choice. God's not going to make you choose. Do you want deliverance or destruction? Do you want to go to heaven or hell? Do you want to be rescued and raptured? Flee to Jesus before it's too late so you are not left behind. After reading part of the first novel in the Left Behind series many years ago, Pastor Brian's youngest sister, Beth, threw the book across the room. (laughs) She feared if Jesus were to come back right then that she would be left behind. And this led her on a search which culminated in her conversion to Christ. The closeness of Christ's coming should cause us to walk closely with him today. It was the night before Jesus came and all through the house. Not a creature was praying, not one in the house. The Bible was laid on the shelf without care and hoped that Jesus would not come there. The children were dressing to crawl into bed, no one ever kneeling or bowing ahead. And mom in her rocker with a baby on her lap was watching the late show while I took a nap. When out of the east there arose such a clatter, I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. When what to my wondering eyes should appear? But angels proclaiming that Jesus was here. With a light like the sun sending forth a bright ray, I knew in a moment that this must be the day. The light of his face made me cover my head. It was Jesus returning just like he'd said. And though I possessed worldly wisdom and wealth, I cried when I saw him in spite of myself. In the book of life, which he held in his hand, was written the name 
of every saved man. He spoke not a word as he searched for my name. When he said, it's not here, my head hung in shame. The people whose names had been written with love, he gathered to take to his father above. With those who were ready, he rose without a sound, while all the rest were left standing around. I fell to my knees, but it was too late. I had waited too long and thus sealed my fate. I stood and I cried as they rose out of sight. If only I had been ready tonight. Now, a couple months ago, an Edgewood member mentioned to Pastor Brian that she wished we had more messages on the end times. And he agreed, and in large part, that's why this message comes out today from that conversation. When Pastor Brian decided to preach this message, he called her. And before hanging up, he said, Betty, Jesus could come back today. And without hesitation, she answered, I'm ready. Are you ready? Or are you distracted? Or have you fallen asleep? If Jesus were to return this afternoon, would you be lifted up? Or would you be left behind? If you're ready to commit your life to Jesus Christ and find salvation, I'd ask you to please pray this prayer of salvation with me. And when we're finished, I'm going to do just like Pastor Brian does often. I'm going to ask you if you would have the courage to raise your hand. And we don't want you to raise your hand to embarrass you or cause a, just cause attention to you, draw attention to you. We want to celebrate with you what the Holy Spirit has done in your life. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, For too long, I've kept you out of my life. I admit that I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. I repent of my sins by changing my mind about the way I've been living. I don't want to be left behind. By faith, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For coming to earth. With all my heart, I believe that you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for dying in my place as my substitute. I believe your words are true. I repent and now receive you as Lord and Savior. I surrender to your leadership in my life. Make me into the person that you want me to be as your disciple who looks for ways to make more disciples. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.